morning, uh, we were getting ready to come down to church, and um, Jeff and Maisie are at a basketball tournament. I always forget which sport we're going on. Basketball tournament. And so I had all the other kids that we have, and so I was getting trying to get the girls ready, and we have... Um, Two, two of our four children are very hard to get ready. I'm not sure if you could guess which two. But um, <laughs> Roby says, I, she's like cop an attitude. I'm trying to like, you know, kind of look like I got dressed, took a shower, and collect my thoughts. I'm like, I have to, mommy has to speak today. Like, I am the person. And she's like, mom, that's not that important. And she goes, and she, she goes, if you don't show up, somebody else can just do your job. That's not, and, I, and so... One, one of the reasons I think God gives us children is to remind us that we aren't special <laughs> at all. And so she already like humbled me this morning. So uh, if there ever is a Sunday where you don't see anyone, it's because Roby thinks one of you should just come and come on up. So, um, okay. Little known fact about me. I love tattoos. I love them. I know this, uh, that's not something to start off with, but so they started off with the song, Add to the Beauty, and that is an older song that is, I, I have loved for years. It's by Sarah Groves. And I have this, like, journal of all the journals I have that I keep all my thoughts. I have this journal that is, like, dedicated to if one day I get a ta- another tattoo. And so that Add to the Beauty is actually made it to the journal. So if one day I come in and I have another tattoo. Now, I, I also, another little known fact about me. So I'm giving you a heads up. I, I told my parents growing up that I, when I hit 40, like it was on. Like I, I wouldn't call for their permission to get another tattoo. And so I'm almost, I'm turning 40 this year. So I just want to give you a heads up. If that makes you change churches, I just wanted you to know that I have this agreement with my parents. When I hit 40, I don't ask their permission anymore to get a tattoo. So add to the beauty might show up one day because that's a, a song that I feel like um, has so much power in just that little statement that we have this ability to add to the beauty of this world. Our life on earth as we know it is just such a small moment in time and history and space. So if we're able to do what we can to add to its beauty, I think we should all do our best to do that. So um, all that to say, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. But um, we're continuing on in our series this morning. And I want to encourage you guys. Okay, so way back when we started this book, we encouraged a lot of you to pick up a copy. Several of you picked up a copy. You bought a copy. Maybe you got a copy of your own. What I would want to encourage you is to not forget that we're reading this together. So most often the chapters are literally two or three pages. They're not super long. It's 52 weeks that we are walking through. So we started this book around Easter, and we're going to take it all the way back to Easter. So um, I want to just say, for those of you who picked up a copy, pick it back up. Um, uh, And if you haven't, it's not too late because we have a lot lot more weeks to go. So I would encourage you guys, um, if you miss a Sunday or you're not quite sure what we're doing, it would be a great way for you to know what's coming up, the topic of of the message, and also... If there is um, questions that you have, there's additional scripture verses that are with each chapter. So it's giving you some things to read at home. So I would encourage you to buy the book. Um, It's called We Make the Road by Walking. And this week, um, we are actually in chapter 5. And the title of this chapter is called In Over Our Heads. So how many of you have ever felt in over your head when it comes to opening up scripture and having any idea what it is saying to your life? All the time. Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, 
like, you need to take me out to lunch because I need to know your secrets. Everybody should raise their hand. Of course it's confusing. Of course there's some stories that are like, I am not quite sure I can pick that back up because I don't know what that means. Um, Certainly don't, like, just open the Bible and start in Leviticus because you're probably going to think, man, there is a lot of laws and a lot of rules, and I have no idea what applies to my life. So picking up the Bible and knowing a direction to head has proven to be difficult for centuries. It has proven to be a challenge, maybe a better word, for centuries. And I mean, if we were to be honest, if it was completely clear, then why would we have as many denominations that we do? Why would we have as many translations of scripture that we do? Um, Because there is this constant seeking among many scholars, among many groups of people that are trying to figure out how does this book of ancient scripture apply to my life and how can I live it out in my day to day? I want to add a little caveat to this title. So the title of the chapter is called In Over Our Heads. And what I would like to add on to that is how to tell a better story. So in over our heads maybe represents the confusion of maybe picking it up and feeling like it is completely like over our, our, our brain space to, to capture. But if we could learn how to tell a better story with both scripture and how we live, maybe it could be a lot clearer and we could feel a bit more comfortable talking about the Bible. So writing a story or writing the ancient scriptures was not a common practice among the ancient Israelites. Writing anything down was not natural. In fact, it was unusual and it was quite expensive. And perhaps it was a a practice that was left to the the elite of the culture, those that had money, that had finances. So most likely if you're thinking of shepherds and you're thinking of farmers and the agriculture, um, you know, culture that they had going on. I mean, they weren't, you know, plowing the fields and stopping to write things down, okay? So if you think about the, the Israelites, they're wandering in the wilderness. They're, they're wandering for all these years. Scripture tells us that they're, they're basically, you know, for 40 years, they're kind of just going around in the desert, in the wilderness. You don't imagine that at the end of the day, they're just pulling out all their books and their scrolls and reading around the, the campfire, What they're doing is they're telling stories. The mothers and the fathers of these children, the grandparents, families as they're traveling together, they're sitting around the campfire and they're telling the great stories of God. They're singing songs and they're communicating through the words of of what they know, what they've heard about the greatness and the big story of who God is. That is how scripture came to be. And so, you know, they're telling these stories, and the text wasn't central to this ancient culture. It wasn't the thing that they gathered around. And as you kind of read through the patterns of Scripture, you begin to see the Torah appear. And it kind of starts showing up, and it starts to become more central to this culture. At a certain point in history, the written text becomes more of a a focus than the oral tradition. But the oral tradition has always been a part of communicate. I am so sorry. I have like a, I might need some water. Um, the oral tradition, I actually have a water bottle like right there, um, has always been, thank you. We're just going to take a little pause just real fast. Um, it's always been a part of the, the, the rich history that we share in the church. So 
writing really grew in the 8th century. And anywhere between the 8th century and the 6th century, it really began to snowball from there. Where we see that writing and putting things on paper or scroll or tablets um, was, was something that became essential to, to remembering the stories of God. So at some point, when you begin telling story after story after story, you've got to have a way to remember it so that you can keep telling those stories, right? So a few authors that I would recommend if you want to kind of check out that topic further. There's this really awesome podcast that's called The Bible for Normal People, and it has some really great um, episodes on that. So Peter Enns, he hosts this podcast. There's a really... Um, two episodes I'd recommend to check out. One was, is called How the Bible is Created, and that's an interview with Barbara Brown Taylor, which if you've been around here for a while, she's my girl. I love Barbara Brown Taylor. And then also there's another one that's called Why and When Was the Bible Written? Um, so these are interviews there, but he's also written several books I would recommend checking out. Also another author is um, Bill, and I can't pronounce his last name without botching it, but it's Schneidwind. Um, he's a, a theology professor at UCLA. He has some really great pieces on how the Bible came to be. So that's just a side note if you want to go further. But in Exodus 24, Moses goes up to the mountain and we read of the giving of the Ten Commandments that are written by the very finger of God. So Exodus 24, you know, maybe this is one example of when God is beginning to extend the authority of scripture and the use of the written text becomes more prominent because it's becoming um it's being written down so in verse 12 on chapter 24 in exodus the lord says to moses come up to to me on the mountain and stay here and i will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments that i have written for your instruction so this is what we know uh, as the ten commandments so moses was given this by God, written by the finger of God, as these ways to live in your time. So these kind of rules, these guidelines to be able to keep the, and preserve like who we were as a church, or who these people were. And Second Kings, a very interesting story. So if you guys remember the story of Josiah, um, so Josiah was, he became king when he was at the age of eight. Now, I have a seven-year-old and she can't even clean her room. So I let much less like rule a whole kingdom, right? So he becomes king and he rules for 31 years, okay? And I have to wonder, like, because all the moms in here, you're like, yeah, there was probably a mom like behind him at telling him like, no, probably don't make that decision. Like, let's not go to war. Let's go, you know, like, I don't know. Like, I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying, I know a few eight-year-olds, but so so the story is really interesting here, though, because you go through um, the, the beginning books of the Bible or books of the law, and you come to the story, and it, and it actually says that the Torah had gotten lost, that they didn't know where it was, and then they found it, okay? And so they, it, was, it was kind of this moment, like, well, where was the Torah? Like, what, what, I mean, how do you lose the Torah? And, and it was found, and then you begin hearing mention of it more and more. And so Josiah, as king, would have had access to reading it because he had more money or more status in this culture. But the stories began to grow, and we get to hear it more and more. Writing became necessary because the messages of God needed to be remembered. In Hebrews chapter 4, this is verse 12 and 13, we, we hear of, of the, the aliveness of the word of God. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, 
It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of whom must give an account. So if if the word of the Lord was supposed to explain all these mysteries of life, why does it leave us with so many questions? Proverbs 30, verse 5, it says, Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. If the word of God is flawless then why in the world do so many of us, after all these years, probably many of you similar to me have been journeying in faith for a while or even just a short bit of time, we still feel pretty lost sometimes. I I can say yes to that. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus says, It is written, man cannot live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. How, how do we even do that? You know, how do we live on every word that comes from the mouth of God? Okay, so circa 1986, my sisters and I would have been blasting on our cassette player the collection album by Amy Grant. I'm just saying. And, and, and if you, none of, no one replied, like you have no idea what it was like to grow up in Pentecostal evangelical circles. Did anybody? Amy Grant, 1986. Okay, so listening to this song... On this album, I guess I don't know if you call it an album, if it's on a cassette tape. You, what do you call it? You call it a cassette? It's still an album? Okay, so album. I'm li- we're listening to the song, the hit song, Thy Word. And we sang that song with all the passion in our heart. And we would literally practice having concerts in our living room. And we would invite our parents and, like, our friends, which was kind of weird. We would, like, invite people to these concerts, which we were basically lip-syncing because we didn't sing. But we would play that song over and over and over again. And we would take the cassette into the car. You know, when you still had like your tape player in the car and you listen to music. So we would listen to this song. Thy word is a lamp unto... Does anybody know it? You can repeat it. Lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And we would sing this over and over. And I didn't know what the full gravity of what that even meant. But I just knew that the word of God was my guide. You know, it was thy word, was my companion. I had no idea what that meant. But, you know, at that age, I learned to recite scriptures with the best of the best of them. In fact, I joined the Junior Bible Quiz League, and I was a Junior Bible Quiz champion. I'm just saying. Um, I know. I, I, w- I was very proud of that. And I, I actually really took a lot of pride in beating my friends at sword drills. Does anybody know what a sword drill is? Yes. Okay. I will, I will fill you in. Just pray for me afterwards. I mean, like, it, I, this was part of my childhood life. I, I was so proud of myself. Like, I could beat my friends. I knew my way through the books of the Bible. I could recite the books of the Bible. I could still recite the books of the Bible. Like, I was so, that was, that was my whole upbringing. And really, to be honest with you, I... Um, I had no idea what I was even taking in. Most of the stories that I was reading, I was doing it because it was a checklist that I checked off. It was something that my parents told me that I had to do. And I, and I kept doing that because what was modeled to me was that the more that I could do and know about Scripture, I, the, the better God would love me or the more I would be accepted. And I tried this. I tried it for a really long time. But at some point, I got tired of trying that path. And I started asking a lot of questions. And I remember just shocking the heck out of my parents at, you know, at the dinner table and just being like, but why? 
why did God destroy the whole earth after the, I mean, like, why did he have to do that? Where's the hero now, mom? And my mom would just be like, you need to chill out, Jody. Um, but like, I needed to know, like, wh- I mean, what's the deal with Job? I mean, come on, can't he get a break? I, I really, um, I started just jumping into all of these, these stories and I needed to have really good questions because I wanted to know what the point of all of it was. But really, every great story produces great questions. And a great story told or seen or read or witnessed gives the listener something to ponder, something to question. I mean, I can't imagine hearing a story or viewing one or reading one that was interesting enough that, that I didn't walk away with a question. You know, I want to, I want to like have, like, I want to lose sleep over this character. You know, I want to know that like this person's going to be okay when I read a certain book or when I jump into a certain story. I want to imagine how it must have felt to be this person. When I read a good memoir, I want to like, I, I, I literally want to find the phone number of like the memoirist and be like, are you okay? Like, how did you do it? Like, I, I love a good story. But every good story should produce a rabbit trail of great questions. And really, like, we are all born into asking questions. Like, I don't know why as adults we pretend like we don't know how to ask questions. But, like, who hasn't met a toddler that has mastered the art of why? Like, right? I mean, every—so it's like the the beginning stage is like why for everything. It doesn't matter what— what everything is why but then it grad we like we kind of graduate and there's like more deeper whys and so um these are actually from the this is from the vault of helpman kids of actual questions that i have been asked in my lifetime why do you always forget things mom mom why do you wash roby's hair first do you love her more (laughs) mom why do you always pack me raisins in my lunch i told you three years ago that i don't eat them anymore mom Why do you have such a hard time finishing your sentences? It's like you don't know what you have to say. Mom, why can't I go to the movies with so-and-so because so-and-so's parents always let her go? (sighs) That's a new one. Mom, why does the moon follow us when we're driving? Do you think it knows where we live? You can, you, can, you can all figure out who among the four, who asked those questions. So kids aren't afraid to question anything. They will say whatever comes to their mind and everything is fair game. But somewhere along the way, when we started to have to adult, you know, be adult people, we have learned that asking questions, especially tough questions in church, that, that we can't do that for some reason. You know, come one, come all, but please leave your questions at the door because we need this place to stay kind of tidy. And this was certainly quite true of my church experience. You are so welcome here, Jody, but don't ask anything too uncomfortable. And, and as a child, I never quite understood like that I would actually repeat because I said so to my kids. But now it's not a matter of like when I'll say it, it's just how often a day I'll say that because I said so. But as Jeff and I are doing our best to navigate the ups and downs of parenting our children. The one area that we decided to never limit or never discourage questions was when it came to the Bible and to God. Because we never wanted their questions to seem too big or unfair or or not right or not tidy. We wanted to welcome their questions because, I will repeat this, every great story should produce great questions. So... Dawn's going to laugh at this because I'm going to point it out. She's going to put a slide on the screen. I wrote this in my journal, and she's going to put, like, it's like a quote from me. 
I'm not famous, but I did write this, so I, I, don't, I didn't really know how else to put it up there. But um, the Bible invites us to accept the mystery of God, that God cannot be contained in a book. The Bible is, in that sense, a vehicle for our community with him, with God, rather than a binding answer book or set of instructions. Stories in the Bible are never simply told to give us information, but to point us to the message of a redemptive God, bringing to earth a better way, a better story for each one of us to tell. In the book that we are actually reading in our small groups right now by Rachel Held Evans, the book called Inspired, I want to read you guys something that she says about the Bible. The Bible conjures all sorts of adjectives among modern-day readers, and yet its magic is indisputable. For every time we might tease about forbidden fruit or praise a good Samaritan, we betray our fascination with its ancient collections of stories and poems and prophecies and proverbs, letters and laws written and compiled by countless authors spanning spanning multiple centuries, cited by everyone from William Blake to Beyonce. The Bible has been translated into more than 2,000 languages, its tales inspiring the art of Shakespeare and Steinbeck, Zora Neale Hurston, and Blind Willie Johnson. Its words are etched on our gravestones, scribbled onto white poster boards we carry into picket lines, and strategically incorporated into our dating profiles. Civil rights activists quoted heavily from biblical texts, as did the Christian segregationists who opposed them. The Bible's ancient reframes have given voice to the laments of millions of oppressed people and too often provided justification to their oppressors. Wars still rage over its disputed geographies. So the ancient rabbis even understood that there was such complexity with scripture. And they saw this great magnitude and they saw that it could produce some confusion among people and its listeners. And they, they likened scripture Uh, to a palace, alive and bustling, full of grand halls, banquet rooms, secret secret passages, and locked doors. So we we are all driven to find truth. I I can't think of one person I've ever encountered who doesn't want to know what is true. What is true about the world? What is true about themselves? What is true about God? And we are built with this compulsion to ask, who are we, how we got here, and how can we give meaning to our lives? And it's as we discover these answers that our stories grow richer and deeper and expand. And it is the the beginning of belief is not having all the answers, but it's learning how to ask questions. So sometimes I think that the redemptive stories of Scripture, we expect in churches that we can keep them nice and, and, and complete and maybe um, you know, tidy, tied up with a bow. But if we stop asking the questions, how do we discover the new miracles and the new mysteries of who God is and to what he's speaking to us today? There seems to be this trend in culture that like a lot of cultures is in this, this huge identity crisis People don't know who they are. They don't know what they're doing. They're questioning because they feel so lost. And so they might try their hand at something new or try to dive in their energy in a new place. It is not hard to quickly discover that there are so many stories flashing before us all the time. I mean, turn on the news, right? I mean, if you turn on the news, sometimes you'll quickly turn it right off because there are so many things being said about what is happening What is happening in our world today? And just because 
You know, one person might be seeing it this way and another person might be seeing it this way. doesn't mean that God's story still isn't bigger and better in the way that we find ourselves. In page 19, on page 19 from our chapter this week um, in, the, in our, our book, Brian McLaren says, The crisis of desire has led to great shame, pain, suffering, violence, counterviolence, and fear in our lives, in our communities, and in our world. Today's headlines essentially tell the same story in a hundred different ways. Because somewhere along this, this place in history, humanity had made the decision that they can do it better than God, that we can do it better than God. When we take matters into our own hands, when we try to interpret scripture in our own way, or, or maybe, heaven forbid, take one verse here and one verse there and make it mean what we need it to mean because essentially when we do that, we're saying that we are bigger and we are better than God. James chapter 4, and this is from the message translation. I'm going to read you these first 10 verses here. Where do you think all of these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have, and you're willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours, and you risk violence to get your hands on it. So pause for a second. Not essentially is James talking about, like, literally that we're going to go kill to get what we want. But if you think of, like, this is a posture, this is a mindset, this is a way, as you're, the way that your heart is approaching life. There are things that we do where we put ourselves above others to get what we want in this life. And that is true of all of us. When we risk a relationship because we want to be right and we want to have it our way, we see this happening again and again. You wouldn't just think of asking God for it, would you? And why not? Because you know that you've been asking, you know that what you're asking for, you have no right to. You're spoiled children, each one in your own way. You're cheating on God. If all you want is your own way, flirting with the world, every chance you get, you end up enemies of God in his way. And do you suppose God doesn't care? The Proverbs has it said that he is a fiercely jealous lover, and what he gives in love is far better than what you'll find. It's common knowledge that God goes against the willful proud. God gives grace to the willing humble. So let God do his work in you. Yell a loud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be with you in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom. Cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious. Really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way that you can get on your feet. Pride and humility can't coexist. And when you approach scripture with pride and you know more answers than what are beneath the mystery that is between all these pages, that's not going to get you anywhere. Choosing our way ends up leaving us lacking and empty. Choosing our agenda as a way to tell our own stories, we miss the whole of it all. Because the story we find ourselves in is just a continuation of what God has already set in motion. The redemption story, God bringing a better way, is still unfolding right now, where we are today. Because the, the arc, like the, the big picture, the arc of the written word, of the written scriptures, is that God sends a better way through Jesus. That there is a hope that we can, can tell in the stories that we're showing the world. 
that, that love really does win, and it, and it covers all things, and that our stories and our purpose and meaning are interwoven within the story of God that he began revealing to us on the onset of creation. In Colossians chapter 1, this is also on my tattoo list. Let me just say that. I know there's a lot, right? Um, but this is, I, I love these words here. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. Our stories were made by him to come alive with him and in him. Revelation chapter 4 Verse 11, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. It is in God that we have our being. It is in him that our lives are marked to live and to tell for him. So the question I'm going to kind of ask you today is to think about what story that you are telling and what would be described of your life by those who know you the most. I was listening this week, a couple weeks ago to a podcast that is called Typology. It is, if you are an Enneagram person, if you are not, you have no idea what I'm talking about, just skip. But like, if you like the Enneagram, you should be listening to this. But Ian Cron, he wrote the book, Road Back to You. Um, he does this interview and he's asking this question. He says, if somebody who's closest to your story was, was asked this about you, what would they say? And this is the question. What are the uncomfortable things people say about me when I'm not around? And how could those things make my story better? And I, I thought about that for several days because I thought, man, number one, I don't want to know what people are saying about me when I'm not around. But maybe I do. And maybe we should, right? Because what if that was able, what if we were able to then enhance the story of God that we're telling? Again, like I said, I'm a sucker for a great story. I love reading a story that has a lot of intensity and interest. Listening, telling, watching, seeing. And I love when the story connects to me personally. But more than anything, I love to watch when I see in your lives and in mine and the people in our community, when I see God's hand moving in how they live, when I see the, the, the aliveness of the love of God showing up between each one of you in this community and how you treat each other. Surrounding ourselves by his presence and presence and spirit is where we're found the most. Um, Liz and the band, they're going to come up and they're actually going to share you guys another one of my favorite songs uh, this morning. But as they're doing that, what I want to say to you guys overall and kind of connecting this back is that we are to not forget that all of this began with storytelling. The sacred scriptures, the redemption story, all of it began with the oral tradition of the ancient Israelites, repeating the stories that they heard from, from their fathers and their mothers and passing them down generation after generation. Oh, did you guys hear about Noah? Did you know what happened to him? Or, or you know, gathering people around and repeating the, these, these stories. This was part of what they, they did. This is a part of the way of life. So repeating the stories and the greatness of God and passing on this incredible message from generation to generation. The story that God came to bring a better way. That God came to bring a bigger way for each one of us still. So the band is going to actually share the song that um, it is not too often that Jeff and I agree on music. 
but we agree on this song. And, and if you listen to the beginning part, um, this, the song is called The Story by Brandy Carlisle. And I love these, these specific lines. All of the lines across my face tell you the story of who I am. So many stories of where I've been, of how I've got to, to where I am. But these stories don't mean anything when you've got no one to tell them. It's true. I was made for you. And I love the, the idea that each one of us, we have so much that we are able to put into story and to communicate. And, and really, like, if, if we're not telling our story, we are one small fraction of this big piece, this big puzzle that is to be communicating who God is. And we're, and we're, we're told in Scripture to go and to tell. In Matthew 28, that command is, is pretty clear that Jesus is leaving his disciples, that we are to now go and to use the voices that we've been given to share the story of God that is in with each one of us. I would love for you guys to listen to Liz rock out on the song because I think you're going to really in, enjoy it. So um, what I would ask for you guys to take with you today, among a lot of things, but the, the thing that I want you to hear the most is that you would not be uncomfortable with asking questions about the Bible. And then it would not make you uncomfortable if somebody asked you a question about the Bible. And sometimes the very best thing that you can say is, I don't know. <laughs> you don't have to know that God is bigger. And, or, I mean, you do have to know that. You don't have to know the answer to know that God is bigger than the story. You don't have to know why Jonah was in the belly of a fish. You don't have to know that. But what you do know in that story is that, that God brings rescue to, through his voice to this, these people. That he went in a direction that God had asked him to go and he needed him to listen. So, you know, hence the fish. But, but what I would say for you guys is to not shy away from asking questions, even as adults, about scripture. Because really, great stories produce great questions. A few uh, months ago, I... I read, this, I read this book, and it actually took me a long time to finish, um, but I finally made it to the end. It's called Out of Sorts by Sarah Bessie. And I want to read, from you, or read to you from her benediction, and this is how we will close today. I pray for bravery and guts, for honesty and discernment. I know all of you have a lot to lose. We all do. When we lay down our certainties, our black and white thinking, it's terrifying, really, to grow up and think about that. But the Lord is your light and your salvation. Whom shall you fear? The Lord is a stronghold of your life. Of whom shall you be afraid? I pray that when people, often well-meaning people, try to quiet your questions or placate you or numb you, you would remember that God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love and of power and of a sound mind. I pray that the Bible would capture your imagination and your heart once again. And I pray that you would read these sacred words with new eyes and a new heart to receive. I come against any abuse that you might have endured in the name of scripture or any ways that the story of God has been used against you. I pray for healing in those wounds. I pray for eyes to see and ears to hear what the spirit is saying to you. I pray that your soul would hunger for scripture, for prayer, I pray for the words of the Bible that it would become a great anthem, a great comfort in your place of belonging. May scripture shape your prayers and your stories and your truths, promises and declarations, poems and metaphors. Reading the Bible is still the best way to listen to what the Spirit is saying 
to you. May your life be an overflow of the story. So as we rise from a world, a culture, a past that is shouting lies over our created selves and called selves, O mighty one, sweep through the entanglements of our sins and those lies of our souls and show us that our fetter is but a spider web compared to the fury of your freedom sweeping in and the wonder of the wide open door and fresh air. May, be the, may we be the ones who hold open the doors for one another with hold, holding hands, holding faces, holding secrets for each other, who hold the space for pain and hold the space for brilliance. We hold the space for light and for salt, the complex, complexities and the simplicities, the silence and the storm, the one who holds our opinions loosely, but yet loves ferociously. And here we are at last, as we sit among the questions, still many unanswered, and the path that we must walk ahead, I pray for your journey as it unfolds into the unknown. So, I wish I had written that, but I did not. So, in the words of Sarah Bessie, this is a prayer that I want to send to you. And I know that there's a lot of things that feel very afraid about diving into why scripture came to be and, and how we got the pages that we have. But overall, keeping in mind it's not, it's not uh, the wrong thing to do to start asking questions, even if you're an adult. And it's not the wrong thing to do to always look for ways to see that God's story is showing up all the time. Whether we want to say it or not, it's here and it's, with, it's worth retelling because we are and should be the greatest storytellers. Jesus as our example right there. So I would love for you guys to take this with you, to take it in your hearts and to think through. Also read the book. So if you don't have this, or you do have this, pick it up, read this chapter, and you'll kind of know a little bit more about what we talked about this morning. So thank you guys for being here, and we will see you all next week. 